tuning in to Chop Shop Economics. This is your friendly neighborhood anarchist, Dr. Spider, bringing you the latest in business and economic news, reading that shit so you don't have to. And uh, this is me, St. Helen. I am a teamster, and I'm here to uh, bring uh, organized labor into the whole uh, process. I'm Ms. Silver. Um, I'm a student, um, and I'm here for the nerd shit. <laughs> There's a lot of nerd shit. Oh god! You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, a lot of nerd shit. So I mean, the stuff was like, like half this shit was like made by math nerds, so like <laughs> the nerdiest of nerd shit. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, economics, I would say, uh, pretty fucking nerdy, actually. I don't know any economist that I couldn't beat up. I mean, that's that's true, but when it comes to making war on the business majors, we tend to count the economics majors in. Um, it's just that we found um, an economics major who isn't you know like that yeah doc what's going on with this uh economics thing all right so um <laughs> just for some of like the bigger shit that's running around in the world um and we get all for first time listeners we get a lot of this information actually from reading shit like the wall street journal or the financial times or bloomberg or all those other like I mean, it's written by all the these absolute like billionaire shitheads, but because it's written for the millionaire shitheads, it actually has accurate economic information once you cut through the bullshit. Um, so for the biggest ones, I mean, there really isn't much that's good to be talking about right now. Um, even though Donald Trump is standing around going, oh my God, look at me. I am making so much money. Uh, U.S. growth has actually slowed down. He's been sitting here promising it's going to be over 3% GDP growth, which means, you know, the, the economy is growing by more than 3%, which in economic terms is actually pretty big. Like, usually you have to be like a massively industrializing country like China to crack 3%. Um, so... It's actually down around 2.1. and But, I mean, you know, get, cutting past the numbers, because that's all the shit you're going to see in the headlines. This is the slowest the economy has grown so far since Donald Trump was elected. Like, it's been is... consistently slowing down. Um, and that's kind of a bad sign, you know. Like, so is that, uh, is 2.1 even above inflation? Um, you know, I'm not even sure if it is. Um... So, like, what I was thinking is that if inflation is lower than economic growth, then what's happening is that, like, the buying power 
of the country is increasing. But if it's the opposite, then wouldn't that mean that like buying power is decreasing? Yep. Well, and right now, uh, U.S. inflation anyway is around one point nine percent. So yeah, oh, it's cool. just it's, it's just keeping pace. It's just the economy is just growing fast enough, but it, it is slowing down. And if it's just the U.S. slowing down, that might not be so bad if you're looking at this from trying to make lots of money. But the Eurozone's also losing momentum. France is actually, like, uh, seeing their economy shrink. Germany's economy is, like, shrinking. Like, all of this is, I mean, this is all stuff that looks really bad. And it especially looks really bad because it's coming, like, right after the holidays. Like, when you crack all this shit open... There's always consistently a pretty big holiday bump because everybody's buying shit and selling shit and moving shit. So, so is like, is quarter four, is quarter four generally like the biggest uh, quarter in economic growth? Usually, yeah, because you'll get like, like you'll get like the people like spending all their money on like trampling people at Black Friday and shit like that. So this year, it, it was kind of less of a bump. And more of like a dead cat. Um, <laughs> cool, like, cool. I mean, th- there was definitely like you know, shit pops up a little bit. So dead cats are bad in this scenario, right? I mean, it's not supposed to be a dead cat. <laughs> it's supposed to be like you know, more on the scale of like a robust armadillo or something. Um, okay. So... Okay. I mean, I thought it was kind of telling when. I went to go and get some stuff at the mall because um, that's still apparently a thing you can do in this country. Um, and the entrance we chose was used to be a Sears until like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, isn't some of the news that like these, uh, some of these big box stores like Bed Bath & Beyond are closing? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like... Even though you've got, like, big banner news that's going, oh, yeah, we did great. We actually did better than we did last year on the holiday sales. You still got, like, a lot of big box retailers that are planning cuts. Like, Bed Bath & Beyond is shutting down 44 stores. Um, So, yeah, you don't get to get your random, like, bath goods and shit. At least, you know, that's what people are probably going to be thinking. But this means people are losing their jobs. People are going to be, like, falling behind on rent payments and on, like, the umpteen million credit card payments or student debt or whatever the fuck else they have to pay for. Um, mm-hmm. Pier 1, you know, it, and Forever 21 are also cutting back. In fact, like, Forever 21 slashing 350 stores around the globe. I mean, you know, not much of a loss. There goes fast fashion, but... Hey, where else am I supposed to get a $1 coin purse? (laughs) That's something I actually literally bought two weeks ago at Forever 21. Yeah, Yeah, and if they can't stay in business, then... (laughs) Shit, how's everyone else supposed to stay afloat? Um, Like, British... By 2024... Everything will be Amazon. You're going to go to the Amazon store for groceries, and you're going to have to, like, scan yourself in with an Amazon Prime account. 
Oh, um, and you know, the, the funny thing is, is that Bed Bath & Beyond is like, you, you've probably seen, like, some of y'all have probably seen all those dead mall videos where, you know, there's like five stores left. And it's usually like a GNC and a Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, yeah. I guess that Bed Baths & Beyonds are... Uh, am I pluralizing that correctly? Would it be uh, Bed Bath & Beyonds or would it be Beds, Baths & Beyonds? Who even... <laughs> I'm sure we could like kidnap somebody from a literature department to explain it. Uh, yeah, you, you two are in the ivory tower. You're part of the cathedral. Uh, I need answers. I mean, different department. Um, same, same. And I'm at a community college. I'll I'll have to go all the way out to the actual four year one to get you a um yeah you know what let's talk after yeah, the show um we'll straight we'll up a van we'll, and wow. um we'll get ourselves a lit major yeah that's uh that's the one thing we need we need uh an editor we need someone who's just gonna correct our grammar while we're talking um and most importantly we need another academic you know uh, and speaking of academics, I'm going to change the subject back to, uh, how are those holiday sales? Oh yeah. They're, well, actually what's more fun is, you know, holiday sales are doing so great that you're see I mean, like you're seeing all these cutbacks, you're seeing like British retailers are even saying this was their worst year on record, like worst holiday season ever. And that's supposed Jeez. to be, like, unleashing the potential after Brexit. Yeah, Great Britain can find its economic muscle. You know, that muscle that it has from all of those industries. <laughs> just, you know, just, just don't mind that pratfall that just happened. That was totally deliberate. Like, that was intentional to get you to underestimate, like, how enormous that potential will be. Um, well, you know, Boris Johnson, he is an expert at that, you know. I I once heard that he showed up to Parliament in a little Lord Fauntleroy outfit and a big giant lollipop, and, you know, everyone was like, who's this idiot? But then he became Prime Minister, so... Yeah. Yeah, look, but, <laughs> who's stupid now? But before we get to his particular stupid shit um china is actually relaxing their regulations on trading they're making it they're giving like companies more doing like you know financial companies more leeway in terms of how long until they have to actually submit data because apparently a bunch of their biggest trading firms are having trouble meeting a deadline that was supposed to be for the end of this month um and they're making allowing funds to like reach up to a higher chunk in the Chinese economy. So, I mean, hey, if you're Bloomberg or Financial Times, that sounds fucking awesome. But, I mean, if you're having to, like, let finance sort of get away with more shit. Well, I think part of the thing is that uh, 
this is part of China's plan to break through that uh, that middle income trap, you know, because one of the big problems with uh, the middle income trap is that these these Chinese technocrats all they care about is GDP, and I think they've kind of maxed out on how much production can take place in China, how much of like world industry can take place in China. And so what they need is financialization to turn that exact amount of production into four times the GDP because, you know, fucking finance wizardry. Yeah, because, you know, fucking sorcery and money appears. It's number yeah. magic. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, it works great until it doesn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure that... Uh, the Chinese people will love having the exact same standard of living, but like with like twice the GDP. Oh yeah. <laughs> but the rich people will have two limos each now. So. Oh yeah, that's the beauty of it. The limousine industry, booming right now. <laughs> yeah. Exotic uh, hypercars too. Totally. And, you know, there are all those people that have those giant piles of money. Fun one. Hedge funds are saying they're all moving away from stocks and putting everything in bonds, which is... That's a super good sign. Yeah, like when you add in all this other shit of GDP and shit going down, that's like, hi, we're just going to take our money out of investing in companies that actually make shit, and we're just going to, like, hide it over here in, like, the fucking Cayman Islands and wait for this all to blow over. Yeah, like, investors are like, oh, shit. Uh, who needs to put money into the economy when we can keep it out of the economy until things are cheap again? <laughs> yeah, I I don't <clears throat> fucking like capitalism. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's nuts. But, I mean, one tiny bit of good news and this one's really shocking especially who it's coming from um cnbc's jim kramer you know one of those like lovely like fucking business pundits who stands and like waves his arms around and shouts about um the dow jones industrial average uh hey he's the investor pundit who stands around and waves his arms around okay give him credit that's true he did make the mold um he actually on his show like just this like yesterday came out and said the world's turned on the fossil fuel industry and he said fossil he's done quote done with fossil fuels because they're in the death knell phase i mean uh isn't there like some serious profitability issues with a lot of companies like exxon and stuff now where they like over invested in fracking and now returns on fracking are kind of bullshit yeah and, and these yeah. And, and like these companies are all like mat like all their value or not all their value but a lot of their value comes from the assumption that they'll actually get to drill and sell everything that they've claimed belongs to them yeah and like 
Okay, so like, there's this. Or there's they don't like on sitting on a lot of inventory. Is the thing. yeah, yeah. There, there, there's like this return on investment calculation that you see, and uh, what happens with all natural resources is that when you start extracting the easy to get stuff, your ROI is like super high, you know, and then when you keep hitting these same areas over and over again, you have to pay more and more in terms of capital and in terms of labor to get the same amount. And so when they provide all of these like uh, profitability things and stuff, they just, uh, these projections from like 2014 and stuff when like Exxon was like just killing it, uh, with fracking and stuff, they were like, yeah, this is the new big thing, oil's forever. Um, they just projected out uh, to a lot of investors and politicians and stuff that they would just, that fracking's profitability would maintain what it was in perpetuity, basically. Assuming that there's just an unlimited amount of fracking site. And oil had to stay above $70 a barrel. Otherwise, fracking was never going to be profitable because it just costs too much money. It's too fucking risky. It's, hi, we're going to light your drinking water on fire kind of shit. Um, And, like, a big thing with it is, and this is even bigger for, in, like, not just that Kramer, like, like if he's seeing this, then, you know, the, the truck is about to hit the industry. Um, well, like the biggest thing from it isn't just that he's saying, oh, they're done. It's that he's going, we're seeing divestment all over the world. We're starting to see big pension funds saying we're not going to own them anymore. The world's changed. Nobody cares because new money managers want to appease younger people who believe that you can't ever make a fossil fuel company sustainable. You can tell the world's turned on them and it's actually kind of happening very quickly. Yeah, I guess uh I guess what happens is that there's kind of a tipping point with all of these like all of this pressure that's been going on for the last like 20 years for pension funds to divest, for municipalities to divest, for um all sorts of governments and other more publicly controlled funds to divest from fossil fuels and uh that sentiment I guess uh comes back into the private sector and uh, there's a tipping point. Yeah. Well, and like the other like half of it is renewables are now beating not not oil yet, but have beaten coal and natural gas on the cost curve. Um, wind power and solar power, once you take out uh, cost of subsidies for both that and fossil fuels, are now cheaper to produce and cheaper to use than coal or natural gas. And oil is probably going to be next on that list. So for capitalists, yeah. there there are some who are going to stick with this shit, but there's some who are, can see which way the wind is blowing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a, I think that's really good news. Um, but it still doesn't... Uh, as a total environmentalist idea, it of course does not fix how our whole transportation infrastructure is based on oil, but it's a good step forward. 
Exactly. And if it means the capitalists are going to be fighting each other, then awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, one thing I guess I would expect in not the short term, but the medium and long term is I don't think there's any room in the private sector for um, for fossil fuel development. I think I think what's going to happen is that a lot of these companies are going to end up nationalized simply because it we've been using oil for so long we're we're path dependent on it that's that's the problem and until we've unwound that you know um oil is still going to have to be pumped out of the ground i don't like it any more than you do but it is what it is um but the private sector it's not looking tenable because it, the economics of it are based around these it's just around know. profitability that's the whole thing yeah yeah i and mean it's like it's not like you nationalize for strategic considerations mm-hmm. yeah and uh you know i don't know see that's the kind of uh cursed thing that i would predict uh, a bernie administration to do you know <laughs> like he's like we should nationalize the oil companies and then like it just keeps oil around for longer because he nationalized it as part of the green new deal you know but uh i think that uh it's just uh it's just really um a lot of renewables are more profitable and it's not about whether something is profitable at all. It's about what is the most profitable. <laughs> so um, I think that once we start running out of lithium, we're going to have another problem. But that's until what asteroid mining is for. <laughs> uh, and recycling. And not building shit to fall apart in five seconds. Okay, so we're in the uh, union news segment. Union uh, news here! Union news here. So I've got a great article from Northwest Labor Press. Uh, everyone should go on to that fucking website, northwestlaborpress.org. It's a great organization. Um, and so recently, uh, strike wins big gains for faculty at Clark College. Uh, Clark College is just a uh, college in the Portland metro area, but um, after 15 months of frustrating negotiations, it took just two days of striking for about 500 community college faculty to win the best union contract they've ever had. Um, They voted 257 to 9 on the third day of the strike to January 15th to approve the new three-year collective bargaining agreement. The contract includes raises of as much as $11,000 a year and puts uh, part-time faculty pay on path to parity with full-timers. You know, this is a great win 
the new agreement includes retroactive raises, like a 9% retroactive raise from 2017. Uh, salaries for full-time will uh, faculty are starting at 62K and will top out at 87K. But the most important thing, a side agreement that will reduce the college's incentive to shift court uh, to shift course load to lower par- paid part-time faculty. Um, what they're doing is that they're now paying adjuncts uh, a salary based on their course load that's being calculated as a, like a percentage of what the college oh, would pay yeah. a full-timer. So uh, part-timers are going to start at 65% full-time rate uh, and will hit uh, 72% in 2022. And the union says that they're going to aim for 85 at the expiration of the new contract, which would be in nice. 22. So it's really great. It's uh, This is in uh, Clark County, uh, Washington, which is right across the river from uh, Portland. And I think this is just a great win. You know, uh, Evergreen State College in Olympia did, and uh, Portland Community College also did the uh, adjunct percentage pay thing. And uh, it's it's a real big win by the uh, Clark College Association for Higher Education, which is their professional organization. I don't think it might. Technically, I don't think it's technically a union. It may be a union. Oh, yeah. It's hard to tell. With I these mean, kind of I uh, back when I lived in Tennessee, um, I knew an English professor um, who was an adjunct um, at the local community college, and she was making less than you would make flipping burgers. Like, you know, about yeah. like eight, oh, nine yeah. thousand oh, yeah. a year. It was ridiculous. Like, there's a Democratic, there's like a DSA member, an adjunct who's running for state senate in San Francisco. Uh, she teaches at San Francisco State and some other schools as an adjunct and sleeps in her car and is running for state senate. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's. You know, that's exactly the kind of person who should be in the state Senate. If you're from San Francisco and you're in government, you should be homeless. Like, at the prices shit is right now, I don't think that anyone who's rich enough to afford to live in San Francisco should be in government. But it's like, it's what adjuncts have to deal with, is it's no job security. You're getting... You go to school for like fucking eight or ten years so you can get paid worse than a burger flipper. And I mean, no offense on anyone who is working in the service industry because that shit is fucking rough in its own special way. Um, but like, even by like the fucked up logic of capitalism, that doesn't make sense if this is all supposed to be like merit and training and all that crap is supposed to matter. Yeah, well, you know, it's the the real thing is that uh, you know, capitalists will argue uh that it's a meritocracy and people who uh 
work the hardest and are most valuable to society get paid the most uh whenever you're arguing against the morality of people making uh a billion dollars and then uh when justifying low wages and people being homeless and stuff they'll say the labor market is about supply and demand they'll switch their argument around to uh oh yeah justify whatever they want it's all fucking bullshit Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and the thing is, there is a supply of people who are passionate about academic subjects, you know? And also who were tricked into uh, thinking that college was a way to make a living. The people running higher ed gave a shit about anything other than their own fucking paychecks or that they thought that they would be able to actually like get some job security when these people at the top are like hey you know that slashing salaries thing is a great way to fatten my boner like the highest paid like academic official in most states is in the united states and this is and you get see similar things true in like in the uk most the highest paid people in academia are either like the heads of schools or like football coaches see i feel like these faculty unions need to just go on strike whenever a coach is hired just like whenever a coach is hired for higher than faculty salary or or like any anyone gets like any like top level administrator gets hired for more than faculty are getting paid there should be an immediate strike or if they're talking about cutting faculty jobs they should be like nope yeah yeah i mean like i don't know i'm a teamster uh we're hardcore about people fucking us over like my my union is like again like they've established provisions in our contract with ups to make ups use fewer trains and use more truck just to fucking get more truck driver jobs it's and then like seeing like seeing my union just force a company to do something that's like really dumb and shitty just to give us more money and then, like, seeing, like, other unions, like, be total cucks and just fucking be, like, just let these, like, administrations for universities and let these companies just, like, run rampant on them just pisses me the fuck off. Yeah, yeah, it's the only reason it's not fucking illegal is because it's a school doing it, so... I can just imagine, like, a fucking, what do they call those when you're, like, working at the school to pay off tuition? Oh, yeah, yeah, graduate jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, that's, so so what you're saying, like, the best grift is to, like, take your, like, fucking oil field and call it a university. Yeah, exactly, and say that they're, like, paying off tuition by uh, never ever being able to leave campus or they're kicked out, you know, uh, and 
they're just working 12 hour days, you know, because like if med school students can do it, then why can't they, you know? Totally. Yeah. Oh, that gives us like, what are you? I'm speaking. Are you saying you're weaker than a med school student? Well, like speaking of like, you know, people pushing back and organizing, we get, I mean, Teamsters rock, but then there's the shit going down in France. Yeah, like, yeah, that's some fucking union shit right there. That shit has been fucking like, so for those who are- CGT. So for those who are turning in late to what's going on in France, and a lot of like media that's not like European media has been really like conspicuously pretending this isn't happening. Um, kind of like how they totally pretended that protesters in Puerto Rico were not marching through the streets with a literal guillotine. Um, the um, it started with like the new like government in France led by like Emmanuel Macron, who's literally like got elected because he's less bad than the actual fascist that was like the national like the the French Marine Le Pen yeah Marine uh, National Front mm-hmm. yeah National Front with Marine Le Pen so like he's literally like better than a fascist so he's a bench why he got elected um the people elected him to sit on a bench for four or five or however long the term is sit there do nothing and then we can try again with electing someone who actually should do something. And no, he went, neat. I'm going to like go all fucking Thatcher on the pensions and rights of French workers and French labor unions. I'm just going to like take a meat axe to the face of all of it. Cause fuck you. That's why Um, me literally being the ham sandwich option is a mandate. Yeah, um, it's fucking, shit in Europe is fucking wild. Yeah, so yeah, he tries to do this, and the unions just walk out and said, we're going on strike. Yeah, and how long has that been now? Like a month? Like at least a month. There's even like, like the Paris Ballet, like last week, as part of, like, in support of the strike, instead of performing as they usually did, they instead did like a free performance in the street. There's been like, members of the electricians union have been doing shit like cutting power lines to police stations and turning on power for people whose power has been cut because they can't pay their nice. bills or something um like like the one that's like the latest in the news is like this is one that like if i was macron i'd be like well i'm done it, it's over now is there were like pictures of the firefighters union who have been physically fighting the riot police throughout like these demonstrations um of firefighters like all t-posing like a bunch of fucking bastards while being lit on fire the two ancient enemies have combined (laughs) against a shared (laughs) foe well if you think about it uh firefighters wouldn't have a job without fires so they're kind of like dependent on one another they're like frenemies so it's yeah yeah they're like uh they're like rivals who need each other to keep like uh to keep the other one in check and to keep the other one like uh like working hard you know totally it's like goku and vegeta except it's fire and firefighters so yeah Um, they're both being all like nope 
Fuck this shit. We're gonna like bury the hatchet for five minutes because this guy's worse. Yeah, and uh, so uh, in France, uh, they're doing some cuts to pensions. So the country is going up in flames. The railroads are shut down. The power is cut. Um, in the Green and Pleasant Isle, uh, they're getting rid of healthcare. Oh, oh yeah, this gets us to the big one. So you may have noticed the, a little thing happened called Britain leaving the European Union on Friday. Happy Brexit Day. Yay. I hope everybody enjoyed Nigel Farage waving his flag in his last European Parliament speech ever. Ah, uh, God. I didn't even, I keep forgetting that he's in the EU Parliament. That's just, like, so oh fucking God. stupid. Like, like he's just... <sighs> he's, like, the most amazingly, like... I mean, before we can even get into, like, the fucking Tories who made this mess, like, Nigel's just the most, like... He is the slimiest fucker you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He's just, like... Like, you could squeeze him for hair oh gel. God. <laughs> like yeah oh my god he's got this rat fuck face too i've got to say it like this guy looks like he would be in like a new yorker cartoon for like an evil uh fucking wannabe english aristocrat yeah it's like it, he's like the kind of guy that if he walked up and was like hello there chap I have a pleasant deal to be offering you. You're going to be like, yeah, you're going to be like immediately, like instinctively grasping for your wallet and making sure he hasn't made off with your child or something. Yeah, it's like, you know what I find really weird about Nigel Farage? It's like everyone's forgotten that he used to be a nazi like everyone he used to be like you know one of those what is suit nazis you know the the kind that you know, they pretend to be all respectable um but you know they're part of some horrible fucking party um devoted to the preservation of some obscure ethnic cult or whatever and he has he has managed to just completely slip away from that like people don't even remember at all that he was like part of the bnp oh yeah the national party anytime a party has national or nationalist in it you can just like you can just write them off as Nazis pretty much because no one's coming back from that no that it's like it's the polite way of saying we're Nazis but you know we don't want to admit it in public where those people can hear it they like they always end up saying like in some like release that like gets past the fucking dog whistle editor they always end up saying like oh yeah, we want to keep Britain white. Or, you know, America is a Christian-only country. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, And and yeah, this guy, like, manages to be, like, 
like the man of the people, even though he made all his money being like a hedge fund asshole in the city of London. And for like, no joke, the entire year of leading up to the Brexit campaign was basically living off of like Brexit money man and Nigel Farage sugar daddy Aaron Banks' money. Like, dude gave him like 450 grand and paid for his fucking flat for like the entire year. Oh my God. But he like, people like, oh, he says it like it is. And he's like, he's like a bloke you could meet down at the pub. And it's like, he's such a fucking fraud. And it's like, like he rails against the queer politicians. But for the last like 10 or 15 years, he's been in the fucking European Parliament. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this just makes me think, like, the city of London, it's so small. It's just a little tiny baby city inside of real London. It's so small. It would be so easy for Londoners to just, you know, just just squash it. You know, just one good riot, you know? And then just it's all gone. You know, in, in the totally in the spirit of satire. <laughs> Yeah, it would probably like reduce the crime rate um, <laughs> substantially if you did that. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, it would. Uh, it it would definitely improve the fucking oh, yeah. mortality rate. Fucking hundred and thirty k deaths from austerity. Yeah, but yeah, they they put up this guy as their like. At, as their ultimate, like, this is the man of the people. Like, he's so, such a fucking fake in every way possible. And now, like, today, he's all like, oh, no, my little Brexit party, which totally wasn't a rebrand of the racist as fuck you, Kip, um, who ran, like, YouTube Judge Sargon as a candidate in the wasn't last election. Wasn't UKIP itself um, um, a split from, I want to say, either the EDL or the BNP? Oh my god, I'm... Yeah, the BNP. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a rebrand. The, the EDL was the... So, their, so there's like... Kind of their boot Nazi auxiliary. Yeah. So yeah, there's like a rebrand of a rebrand of like a basically a Nazi party. <laughs> um, and, and he... And during the election, he's all like, oh no, we have to work. Conservatives, and now he's saying, "Oh, well, I need to keep my totally not a uh, gigantic fucking grift machine going because now we can't trust the man that I backed in the last election." <laughs> oh yeah, it's just absolutely fucking like just a total grift. Like, how are you supposed to fucking expect people to like? Brexit has already happened, like. There's no like advocating for oh, more but Brexit. There is, but there like, is. You, you see, all all you can do at this point is to just start like blowing up the channel, you know, like just like close the borders. But entirely true Brexit. See, see, that's what they're that's what they're ne- gonna be negotiating over for the next year. Is that um i mean i i don't and it's not even like that much like the deal that they're going on isn't even that good of a 
deal, really. What, and it, what is the deal? It's basically I mean, like, I... so the deal. So Boris Johnson's Brexit deal is the is basically Theresa May's Brexit deal, that the Brexit deal that he quit her government over. But you know, he it, it's got his name on it, so mm-hmm. that makes it good. Um, and so, but what that means, if you're in Europe or in the UK, is that Britain is now out of the single mm-hmm. market for goods and services. It still will be in the common market for goods. So that means any stuff they make, you know, at all five of the factories that are still left in Manchester, um, still has to comply to European Union regulations and any food. But everything else it does not have to comply with EU standards. So it's a nice big green light to go, well, fuck your labor laws. Fuck your children should not be working in oil refineries. Namby-pamby nonsense. We're going to do it because it unleashes our potential. Um, doesn't, uh, doesn't fucking Britain have this weird child labor thing where if you're like under 18, you don't get you don't have to be paid minimum wage like in some jobs or if it's like they can say it's like family work or something like that i mean it's like the same thing as like a on u.s like family farms or family businesses um i like these and, and the big one the one and like the biggest thing in it is the thing that him and every like a whole bunch of tories were like oh no we can't accept this thing called the backstop which was basically an agreement that said that if, for whatever reason, the rest of the UK wants to leave the common market for good, then Northern Ireland is going to stay in the common market so that there's no hard border between the Republic of Ireland and the British chunk that's still in Ireland. Um, mostly so they can stop people from blowing each other up. Because, um, yeah, yeah, people are like literally fucking died over ending that hard border, so they what they did instead was they said well actually instead of saying there's an option for it to happen we're just gonna say it's happening we're just gonna like pretend that thing we've been flipping our shit over for the last year actually wasn't that important okay so yeah so i mean you know uh... don't go buying irish fertilizer stock yet (laughs) but (laughs) i mean it's it's funny because like this whole thing is kind of just like a lose-lose scenario for Britain. Like, they still have to comply with a lot of EU regulations, but now they have no say in what those regulations are and how they're enforced and stuff. So, what it, what, it, what is Britain actually getting out of this? A couple, like, loosened labor what laws? What they're getting? That, like, will not... It won't bring production back to Britain. It will not improve the economy of britain by cutting wages are already like ridiculously low in britain and by adding the burden of like paying for health care and cutting welfare and cutting minimum wage what they're going to end up is that there's not going to be a consumer economy left in britain by 2030 but both of you are what both of you are failing to understand is that the whole point of this is to take all of the factories and cut them up 
and ship them to Alabama. That is the whole point of this. And that's what's going to happen, because, I mean, like, there was actually, like, a write-up in the Wall Street Journal that went into this, and basically the gist of it was that because Britain is basically cutting itself out of the EU, it's going to be completely at the mercy of the United States. Like, whatever, like, Mike Pompeo, that absolute fuck, like, already was saying, hey, guess what? All those, like, concerns about us selling you, like, chlorinated chicken? Well, guess what? Fucking deal with it. And pharmaceutical representatives are already, like, telling the NHS, hey, guess what? Drug prices are going to go up. Why? Cause. Fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, no, the thing is, this is going to be, like... there aren't even going to be very many British rich people who are going to, oh, like, yeah. win from this. Like, that's the that's the fucked up part. This is bad for the British capitalist class, too. Except for, like, a select little portion so, of So, I think I was... I, I vaguely remember what started all this. But maybe y'all could explain to the to our audience, like... Just how the fuck did we get here? Why why was this put up to a vote in the first place? What what the fuck? So it all starts with a Tory fucker named David Cameron, who like there's four important things you need to remember about him. Um, the first thing is that he is, like, a total fucking Etonian Oxbridge, like, pra- like blood so blue you could use it for antifreeze kind of aristocratic prick, um, who's in charge of the Tory party in 2015. And he's, along with being PM and a posh prick and a pig fucker and... Uh, pushing through austerity measures that killed like 130,000 people. He also fucked a pig. Um, uh, yeah, we cannot forget that he fucked a pig and the news about that came out like a couple months after that Black Mirror episode where a British PM yeah. fucked a pig. Like, like, like what happened is like as this, part of this whole like fucking... Like, as part of his, like, you know, indoctrination at the fucking, like, psychopath breeding factory that is, like, Eaton College, um, supposedly, or, like, maybe it was at, like, university, one of the two, like, supposedly as part of some, like, hazing thing, his mates were all like, right, so, David, we, we got a hold of this pig's head, and we thought we'd really fancy if you could just shove your junk in it a few times. And he did it. Uh, yeah, you know they. You know they didn't say yeah. junk. They oh said yeah, you're right. yeah. They said Willie. It, it's that's true. They're too posh for that. <laughs> These fucking freaks <laughs> called it a Willie. Yeah. So yeah, that, like it's important to remember that like before was before like this guy like became a total pig fucker. He fucked a pig. Um, and he came up with this brilliant idea. Because, like, some Tory MP flipped to UKIP. And he was like, oh shit, I'm actually afraid I might lose voters over the European Union. So he goes and promises 
that there's going to be a referendum on it so that he can just shut up that part of his party. And because he's like, hey, I did an independence referendum on Scotland and we won. So, you know, that that made the SNP shut up and go away. So this let's do massive referendums on political issues that could be a problem is a great idea. So he holds this referendum. So what he does is he doesn't even like puts it in the manifesto. And he told like EU President Donald Tusk that he never actually expected to follow through with it because he, this absolute Tory fuck up, did not think that his party was going to actually win an outright majority in 2015. So this would be like some freshman House member defecting to the Constitution Party or, you know, one of those other loser third parties in the American context. Yeah, and then, like, the fucking... Yeah, and then, like, straight up doing a full-on, like, huge-ass federal, like, measure to do a ballot initiative on something like fucking, like, a balanced budget proposal. Like, a balanced budget amendment. You know? It's fucking... Like, no one in the Republican Party wants, actually wants the balanced budget. Amount. And the thing that the thing that makes this so unbelievably stupid is he's going into this election campaigning to win, being like, oh, well, but I really won't win by enough to actually have to do this thing that I'm doing to keep my party from falling apart. Um, like, I'll never actually succeed. Oh, wait, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Tories got a majority, so now he had to actually hold this referendum. He never thought he'd have to do in the first place, because he put it there to shut up Tory voters and not, you know, to actually win the election outright. Yeah, it's it's absolutely idiotic. The idea that this guy got to PM with this bad of political instincts says so much about the fucking political system of the united kingdom yeah i mean this is just so like the this is just as consistently a bad idea there's like never any part of this that was ever a good idea but then he's like nope fuck it like the bad idea just got worse well let, let's just you know chin up keep calm and carry on oh god so there is there is some other news there is some other news about Brexit that's really fun. This is breaking. This came out just, just today, a couple hours ago. The EU will back Spain over its territorial claims to Gibraltar in the next phase of Brexit negotiations. So, yeah, that's like, yeah. This thing that was supposed to, like, unite the Tory party is there goes Gibraltar. And, oh, yeah, and Scotland, like, two days ago voted saying we want another independence referendum now because... This Brexit stuff is bullshit, and we never agreed to. Oh it. yeah, didn't all of the default parliaments yeah, yeah. say no? We don't want Brexit. They all they yeah. all voted against it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an England thing. Yeah, it's a jolly old England. What? what? It and it's like but. and like the people that are like. Uh, well, it's a jolly old England thing that wasn't even happened. So after, like, mis- Mr. Like, you know, pig fucker fucks up and fucks off because the ref- they lost the referendum. Um, 
he leaves it to Theresa May. I mean, okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's like nothing to say about Theresa May. She's kind of just like a bag of, I don't know. What's, what's something that you don't notice? Cause she's kind of like a, nut. yeah, I mean, she, she just is like, I mean, she fucked up, but she was like fucking up on autopilot. It wasn't even really, I mean, she's definitely like an absolute, like, total like fucking tory reptile in her own right i mean she was responsible for the windrush thing that deported thousands of like british citizens who were originally from the caribbean because they were like oh yeah we shredded your paperwork after you emigrated in like the 50s but you have to go now god um yeah but she's so at least, she, so she does have Tory credentials. Oh, yeah. But, like, you know, she, I mean, she's not quite on the, like, punting puppies off of, like, the Tower Bridge levels that Boris Johnson is. Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, the, <laughs> everything I've gotten from her is, like, she has this vibe of, like, this this purse dog who's grabbed onto the bumper of a of a car she finally caught up to the car she's clinging onto that thing for dear life and she has no idea what to do next she caught the car it's amazing she caught the car and she has no idea what to do with with the car she has no idea what to do with this fucking country <laughs> so um now that i'm prime minister what do i do exactly i mean she really should have quit after like the letters were literally falling off on the market party conference oh jeez. hey that that was a sign <laughs> an ill portent mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so I mean like she had people like so, oh no actually she did have like a noteworthy one in her cabinet like Chris Grayling the absolute like the man who redefined the concept of fail like um he was the transport secretary um and while he was transport secretary his job was to like sort out hiring ferry companies for after Brexit um because sure, why not? We can just totally handle that um, by hiring more ferry companies. But um, he manages to land a contract with this one ferry company for Channel Ferry, like ferries across the English Channel, for like fifty million pounds with a company that has literally never owned or operated anything approaching a boat before in their entire existence. Oh, cool! I love that. Yeah. Like, but there's just like such transparently, like, such transparently obvious graph. Like, I mean, at least Boris Johnson got away with his bridge. Um, but like, it's so like, I mean, that's like the most noteworthy thing that happened in Theresa May's cabinet. Oh yeah, and she had to current Home Secretary 
because while she was secretary for international development went, Hey, I'm just going to like run my own private foreign policy and hold secret meetings with the Israeli government. Cause you know, there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. It seems like the British government is like super functional right now. Like then they totally know what's going on and are in complete control. Um, when they've got- when they've got that other like man of the people like leading the way is like the leader of the House of Commons, Jacob Rees Mogg. Oh yeah, the man of the people, the fucking the the guy who's just just, just one of the lads, lads, you know. And you could go to Nando's with that guy. So, uh, where did he come from? I mean, I, I'm, I suspect that, you know, a man of the people would come from, like, humble origins, like a flat in Portsmouth or, um, you know, a council estate in Sheffield. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the real like... story of Jacob Rees-Mogg's origins, <laughs> you know, shrouded in myth. There is one theory that's quite popular that he was, like, cooked up in a lab in the basement of Eton by a bunch of mad scientists trying to create, like, the perfect Tory, and they succeeded beyond their worst expectations. See, I thought he came from the Alpha Draconis star system, and, you know, uh, comes from an underground base where they're leading a worldwide conspiracy against humanity. You know, the the reptilians? You guys heard of them? I refuse to believe that... He has, like, actual parents. The guy, like, I mean, I don't know, maybe he, like, somehow hitched a ride after who and got kicked out of the TARDIS in 1980. Um, oh, I, my God. He's, yeah. Like, his ancestral estate, like, just recently, like, is the largest private home in Britain. Um, his dad, William Reese Mogg, was, like, on Thatcher's cabinet and, of course, like, a massive homophobic everything asshole. Um, and he just <laughs> like, and the mug, so the monkey bastard managed to score like 7.6 million pounds to renovate his historic, like 26 bathroom mansion out in Somerset. Okay, but what if you need to pee and you're like in the East Wing and you don't want to walk more than 20 feet? Like, have you thought of that? Like, what are you supposed to do? I mean, I guess walk 50 feet like trolls do. Um, this is... I mean, trolls don't you know, walk that far against to get to the bathroom. Against people of means. But that's because the bathrooms are... Oh, that's because the flats are so small. Like, you don't have to walk that far when your entire... Not when your entire flat fits in a shoebox. I mean... When I think ancestral yeah. home, I think like, you know, some they burn like a shoebox too. I think you know. Here's the thing: where I come from, ancestral home means you know some shotgun shack that your grandfather paid for, and it's it's paid off. It isn't worth more than like a hundred k, and most of that hundred k is inflation. Mm-hmm. And I seven point six million pounds for renovating 
some <laughs> mansion the size of oh my god like yeah it's a really he he's just definitely one of those you know he he's just one of those lizard people at the top of fucking the british hierarchy you know like nothing better sums up how posh this guy is um than that when he was out canvassing for in like i believe it was like the 2010 elections um when he was out canvassing he took his nanny out with him like the nanny he's hired for his uh no this is for 2015 for like the nanny he hired for his kids out with him and when people are like that was a little weird and you know most of us could barely afford you know to pay rent um he decides to pen this absolutely lovely letter that you daily toriograph sorry telegraph um titled my nanny made me the man i am take a subtitle she didn't do a very good fucking job did she oh my god Subtitle. Subtitle. Jacob Rees-Mogg, MP, who took his nanny canvas rights in defense of a British institution. Uh, and he just... I mean, you know, it's totally normal to, like, join, like... I mean, a lot of the people that write to still do letters to the editor are, like... Like, kind of cranks anyway. But this is, like, amazing. In the... I was like, the great British nanny is supposedly going the way of the dodo. For now, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge have decided to appoint a Spanish childminder for our future king. What can lesser mortals do? Alas, for the British nanny is one of our nation's finest traditions, iconic like a London taxi or a red bus steeped in history and akin to the ravens of the Tower of London important to the country's well-being there are multiple pictures of this guy wearing a top hat like unironically first page google image results he is unironically wearing a top hat it's like he is like so like victorian it's absurd it's like he's just dropped out of like the 1850s it's yeah this guy he is just it's just so emblematic that of what Britain is going through now, that this guy is, like, head of the commons. And that gets us to, and we've been, you know, cracking him a lot so far, but we've kind of had to sit on a bunch of this. Boris fucking Johnson. Yeah, that guy, uh, you know, famous mayor of London. (laughs) Um, How did he become fucking mayor of London? Was he, like... Did he inherit it? I don't know how things work in that. Uh, well, he got elected. But what's funny is when he got elected, all about how like cosmopolitan he is, and that like our future is European, and like saying basically all this shit when he was running as mayor of London to look appealing, and then the moment he has to run for parliament, he's like, "Yep, yeah, fuck that." Um, I'm going to be running against the European Union. 
Oh, while he was mayor, I mean, he got a good start. He got off to a good start as mayor. I mean, he did those like forest bike things that you have to pay money for to rent and managed to blow 53 million pounds on a bridge that was never built. To blow more than like fucking Chris Grayling did on that, those ferry boats that didn't exist. But I mean, you know, I guess he had to pay someone to draw up the non-existent bridge. But like maybe a job was made oh, from this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, and now he's all like, oh, I want to build a bridge to, from Scotland to Ireland now. Okay, that would be that would be great. Honestly, I I love that idea. I love that idea because uh Ireland doesn't really have a navy, you know? So if shit pops off, they do need a way to get into Britain for those what 76 counties. The 76 county figure is for the British Isles and the full island of Ireland combined. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, no, they, uh, I think this should be, like, the Tory policy that I support is just a big bridge from Scotland to Ireland. It should be able to... (laughs) Never mind that, like, engineers, when they looked at this plan, were like, hmm, this is fraught with problems, which is, like, educated um, (laughs) British English for, are you on fucking crack? Okay, but have you considered that maybe they are? I know that Canadian Uh, politicians are on crack. So, like, what's the difference between a Canadian and a Brit and, like, an Englishman, you know? I mean, we know that, like, you know, Donald Trump's economic advisor, like, forced to quit his job back in the 90s for his, like, $150,000 a year coke habit. And then he gets hired by Mr diagnosed by expert on cocaine addiction carrie fisher donald trump as a coke addict i mean you know god damn like 150k you can okay see at that point you're just sharing with all your friends because like i can or you've just like (laughs) grafted a vacuum cleaner on your nose at that point yeah like like is there like there has to be like a point at which you sleep. Otherwise, he would be dead. <laughs> like, how much coke can one person do? I, I don't know, but I mean, you know, I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump have their next economic summit. Oh, God, yeah. I want to see, man, imagine being the plug there. You know, just like, show up at the party, you know, you're just standing in the corner. Like, people walk up to you and they're like, I could like a little bit of nose canny, piff puff. And you're like, yeah, that'd be $10,000. And they're like, oh, well, okay. And you just give them a little baggie. And, you know, see, that's that's why I think it costs 150 k for his cocaine habit. Yeah, you got to get that markup. You see this guy wearing, like, a goddamn top hat or whatever. You're going to charge him, like, five times the fucking market rate. like i mean all these guys keep moving back and forth between like finance and shit so i mean we know they're all on drugs too so you know what's a little like stimulants between friends yeah but (laughs) this is this is all good shit but uh like how bad is it gonna be really though with like brexit 
and the Tories uh, being in power for five years. Uh, welcome to Airstrip One. That the, they are gonna do whatever the fuck they want. They, I mean, the media took the gloves off. That yeah, we'll totally like ruin anyone who even pretend, even dreams of possibly threatening Rupert Murdoch's evil empire. Um, there's like nothing that can stop them from doing whatever the fuck they want. So I mean, and, and like, even if you're not in Europe or in the UK or anywhere that you think would buy this, this is going to put a squeeze on everything because now. British businesses have to pay more to export to their biggest trading partner. So they're going to be exporting less and their partners in Europe are going to be receiving less and selling less. So as we're getting all these retail layoffs and GDP, global trade is going to be contracting more, which for the way the world economy is set up is bad. I mean, if you draw a paycheck anyway Mm -hmm. and don't live off a giant head fund. So, I have a question. The thing that worries me a little, and I think it should worry everyone, is that Brexit isn't yet finished. Like, yes, officially they're out of the European Union. Um, but there is no trade deal yet. Um, crashing out with no deal would have meant, you know, um, they would have had to go with the WTO rules with high tariffs and all that fun shit. Um, <laughs> what are the chances that the trade deal fails? Um, yeah, I think that honestly, uh, Boris has a majority. I think that there will be some kind of trade deal within the year, you know? Um, there's no serious blocks in Parliament from getting something from being negotiated, but the thing is, there is no good deal that can be arranged. Oh, yeah. No. There's no good deal between Europe and Britain. Like, the the thing of it is, is, after all they did kind of blow up all of the special concessions they got um, as their conditions for, you know, not joining the Eurozone, not um, doing this and that. Um, And, like, they have cut them. uh, the uh, The EU 27 have cut them a lot of slack over the years. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that that's what's always baffled me about Brexit. Like they'll, well, what they're going to do is bend you over because all this special shit you negotiated, it's gone. But it also means they don't have to follow the, like, granted still have lots of room for improvement, EU rules on environmental regulations, labor regulations, or any of that other stuff, or particularly financial regulations. 
So they can just be like, nope, fuck it. We are going to fast track our way to being the world's biggest tax shelter. I mean... And there'd be fuck all the EU could do to stop them. They, if they do become this like tax shelter country, they're going to get like fucked by the EU, though. Like that's the problem because like you can't expect like no retaliation. That all assumes this was ever thought through, intended to. This was ever actually, you know, planned. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think we're irrationally trying to figure out, you know, a, a rational reason for why you would do this, how you would do this. And the answer is that you would never do this if you were a rational actor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not if you're like, not if you're like some right wing capitalist. Like this was, this is a thoroughly stupid idea from beginning to end. I mean, yeah, that's why people like David Cameron were like, so against it and they thought it was so stupid it could never pass like it's it this is this is definitely uh it's gotten to the point where the uh tail is wagging the dog in right-wing politics in britain and in america where the capitalists have cultivated these like uh populist bigoted uh anti-elite anti-cosmopolitan sentiments through the control of the media and they like are the whole time they were like yes we're going to capitalize on this by symbolically like aligning with them so we get all these votes but now the people who are like genuinely against that and against their profits are being voted in and then in britain i guess it's more of just uh a bunch of people who are trying to profit off of this wave of discontent. Yeah, and it's a lot of it is shit like people dying from austerity and benefits getting cut and shit legitimately getting worse. And there's definitely an argument to be made that part of this is because EU rules that allow free movement of capital and free movement of labor is really good for causing an internal race to the bottom. Oh yeah, no, um, it's not that that was ever going to. That was never going to be on the menu is, in any It is so person. much like, uh, you know, the Rust Belt in the United States versus the South, where the South has, like, no labor laws. So all of the cars are being built in the South. A lot of the industry has moved to the South, where there are no unions, uh, where minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, uh, where people have to get health insurance from their job in order to not die that kind of thing and states with stronger support systems and stronger labor rights are being drained of capital and labor that's the like intent with the eu too i mean even though there's absolutely valid reasons to throw rocks at the eu in this immediate moment none of those things are going to matter because the the like the British left has is like on its back foot right now, and people are going to have to get ready just to ride out a government that's like playing bingo with activist groups by calling them terrorists. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, that's the thing. I think things are going to get really, really shitty in Britain for the next five years. Um, 
maybe labor will be able to win. Labor might not exist. Genuinely, I don't, I'm not sure if labor will exist as a major party by 2025. Well, I mean, part of the problem is, is that they're kind of at a crossroads and Corbin, Corbin didn't purge the centrists and that's a problem when you're trying to convince people that no the party has turned over a new leaf we are not the new labor party um the old labor faction has in fact taken control again to some extent um you kind of have to prove that by following through and purging your fucking centrists you cannot have Blairites running around in the Labor Party. They're records. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that's always annoyed me about all Yeah, I know. It's funny because the Trotskyite entryists are the opposite of records. <laughs> For once. Oh my god. That's sad. Uh, and like, I mean, really, ultimately, you could say that the fact that this even happened is partially Tony Blair's fault. Like, he, the Tories went from going, okay, Brexit's just the thing we're going to use to shut up the right wing of the party to, hey, we can use this as a wedge to hit labor in the face with. And the fact that that wedge even existed starts with tony blair's wing of the party abandoning organized labor abandoning the north of england and basically not challenging the core assumptions of thatcherism and just saying we're just going to keep going with this but we're going to put like a nice paint job on it and throw a few scraps that won't actually matter tory policy with pink yeah yeah that's it was like it but it was like blue labor helped make this and that and they also like were an active thorn in Corbyn's side in the last election. I mean, you see in the like election statistics that people who left that people on remain and exit left the Labour Party. And so because they weren't given like a clear vision on what Labour actually stands for in terms of brexit but i mean luckily brexit is not going to be the issue of 2025 2025 the issue will probably be like i don't know uh opiate addiction or something maybe uh maybe like the genocide in scotland you know something yeah. like that um so <laughs> like yeah one i think uh we i think pretty well covered this issue well um i guess there's one thing i kind of want to get to which is kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to any talk of brexit and the labor party which is this whole idea of lexit now i don't want to turn this into like an hour-long rehashing of you know the December election because A, that's pointless and B, you can get that content on much more established alternative media platforms. Like, we don't need to do that. But in y'all's view, 
there's kind of this idea being passed around that the Labour Party should have committed to Brexit um, on the grounds that a left-oriented um, exit from the EU would be a good thing because then we can renationalize all this stuff and we'll be able to, you know, execute policy without any interference from EU directives. Um, and, you know, we don't have to worry about capital flight as much because we can control that a bit more. But the problem is, is it, maybe this is just me being a dumbass American, but I don't think that makes sense. Well, it ignores the Brexit is a Tory wedge issue. At the end of the day, it was a Tory wedge issue. And it worked because there is division in the Labour Party on whether uh, over Leave or Remain. So it yeah. didn't matter which side of the debate Labour ended up on. Yeah. They were doomed no matter what. Because they were Yeah, the, the problem was that Labour was split on Brexit. And, like, even if like, I think by the end of it, you know, they came out, like, pretty solidly on Remain. They went you know? to do a referendum, but... But that didn't I mean, help. Like, I don't think they could have captured the Lib Dems by going more... I don't think they could have captured much more of the Lib Dems by going real even harder on Remain. And I don't think they could have won a majority or even forced the Conservatives into a minority government again by doubling down on Lexit because it was already doomed yeah. by yeah. by 2019 like, I, I they, think, were, like, they were doomed. the entire issue was, but yeah i mean that's like to not like beat a dead horse too much it's there was no they didn't have an amp there was no good answer because they didn't get to pick the terms of the question yeah if say uh you know pig fucker never initiated the brexit uh you know referendum and uh in 2020 Labor gets into government and they put forward uh, a Brexit ballot and start that whole process and stuff, then maybe Alexa would be a good idea. But like, yeah, it's a Tory thing, right? Now. And you can't beat the Tories at their own thing. Yeah. Like the left can never beat the right by out lefting the right's chosen wedge issues. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, and the thing about it was, was like, some people were like, oh, we shouldn't have done the, re uh, we shouldn't have promised a second referendum, but I mean, hell, the the messaging around that was muddled. I mean, it was going to take, under the Tory plan, it's going to take a year to negotiate the fucking trade deal anyway. So what you would, what Labor would have been doing is negotiating that deal, you know, what that's what that would look like and then going okay okay voters do you still want to pull the fucking ripcord on this um this is the best we can do yeah. and i mean that would convince some people but it's not gonna convince others it's it's a morn's fork you don't you don't win yeah i mean either way ship yeah. has sailed so now it's just a question of that this i mean all Ultimately, yeah. this is just going to the world economy's not in a good way from a capitalist perspective, and this is not going to make things better. Oh yeah, no, yeah, it's uh, uh, the green and pleasant isle is uh, 
doomed to sink into the sea after their hubris in rejecting Europe. Um, <laughs> so, Junker, my yeah, curse uh, upon it. As you have forsaken the EU, so you have forsaken me. My curse upon this land for seven times seven generations. Yeah, um, exactly. And so, uh, if you're British and you're listening to this podcast, uh, get out while you still can. Run, run to Scotland. I think that they might, they might be safe up there. Uh, or you know, like join a join a union. Uh, act be active within your own union. Uh, the only way to... The government is in the Tories' power, and the most powerful way to fight capital when you don't have control of the government is unionization. So, get that trade union congress just fucking ready to wreck shit. Oh, yeah. I think that's... That wraps it, really. So, from all of us at Chop Shop Economics, good luck out there, and we will see you next week. Bye. Night.